You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Well, anybody who got the reference to red pills and blue pills will have recognised that this film, the one that we're going to talk to about today, is the classic from 1999, The Matrix. The first of the trilogy, probably, in my opinion, the best of the trilogy. But, you know, there can't be what anybody in the world who hasn't woken up one day and looked around and, you know, just thought, what if this was some sort of simulation you know I, I think back to the the days of um, star trek the next generation you know when they used to have the hollow deck and they used to be able to create a, a fairground to go and play in or they could go and do a, a sherlock holmes play or something like that i always thought that that was a really cool thing to do in your spare time but the matrix suggested that the entire world that we live in was fabricated was made up and that we were all, in fact, lying curled up in sort of metal pods with things, uh, wires plugged into our bodies, effectively keeping us alive whilst we effectively dreamt our way through this weird existence. But the film was much more than just exploring that, quite frankly, mind-boggling concept. It also introduced special effects and techniques of slow motion that I don't think we've ever seen in cinema before. So it combined that incredible concept with amazing special effects. And, and to this day, it rem it remains one of the most rewatchable science fiction movies of all time, in my opinion. And it does qualify as science fiction because what it does, and what science fiction movies do well, is that they are a commentary on the current life. So 1999, where, you know, bear in mind everything that we've covered in This Week in History was really the emergence of personal tech, you know, personal computers, mobile phones, you know, the people sent to listen to MP3s and iPods and so on. So there was this kind of real access to portable tech. Um, homes and businesses were obviously getting geared up. And this idea that in the future, we're going to become the very batteries of the machines who have taken over. Um, it's just a wonderful kind of exploration of, of a theme that I'll add on to that to your point, the visual effects, you know, the storylines, the, the language of the film, both in terms of the word they use, but also the clothes they wear, the choice of the colors, is just quite something. And you know what it is? I think it's also very, uh, for me, I take the view that it, it took place, that movie was an event really that took place in 1999 a year before 2000, you know, the start of a new decade, of a new century, if you want to look at it that way. Um, not just a year where I was able to listen to the Prince song 1999 you know, on repeat, but also I was wondering, you know, when I went to see this film, I went to see it with a friend who had not been to the movies for quite some time. 
and he was completely blown away. I mean, I was as well, but you know, I had obviously been watching movies for a while. I could see he just missed the last 10 years of movie production. And I wonder whether that was, you know, our version of Star Wars or Enter the Dragon or Blade Runner, you know, where people went to the movies and they left thinking, I have never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, I mean, everything about it is just different and, and iconic. You know, the the there's a lot of black in it, isn't there? Um, you know, the, the black shades that a lot of them are wearing. Most of the people have black coloured hair. Um, there's a lot of long black coats. People are wearing black clothes. Some of those clothes are very tight and very leather. Um, it, the, there's definitely that. And, and a lot of green as well, if I remember rightly. I guess the idea to conjure up in your head the old-style computer mm. screen, which was effectively black and green, wasn't it? And and that was familiar, and yet they turned it again into something really quite different and really quite alien. So I think that they, they mixed the familiar with the un, with the unfamiliar and made something completely iconic. The directors and the producers clearly declared their love of film and cinema. I mean, they also managed to pile into their films from their own childhood and teenagers and so on. And But it's not distracting. I mean, you will see the reference to Blade Runner. You will see the reference to Akira. You will see reference to manga and all the cyberpunk-type uh, execution. But it's unique. You know, The Matrix actually uh, has informed, influenced other uh, movies, not the other way around. And, and one of the things, again, when I'm, I'm thinking back, imagine you were pitching this <laughs> to a studio and yeah. you said to them, what we're going to do is we're going to do a load of martial arts scenes in incredible slow motion. You know, they will said, oh, that's not very exciting, is it? You know, martial arts is fast. You know, you think back to the Bruce Lee films and all of that. And yet... This was so different, the way that they slowed everything down and it was all, and the way the bullets went, you know, it was just, again, you're right, I think, Pascal. It was so different that it was almost like a generation-defining experience for a lot of people. I went to see the movie several times. I mean, that year, 1999, I went three, four times easy with different friends and I enjoyed every single time. And and what is interesting is there were some scenes that were truly iconic. So you mentioned bullet time a moment ago, but you've got, you know, the, when they jump and the cameras follow through, you've got scenes with um, the Oracle, you've got scenes in the train, the underground station. Yeah. You've got scenes uh, when he's trying to escape, you know, is kind of on top of the building. Uh, it just goes on and on and everything you could pose and watch it you could almost print it and frame it because it's just beautifully filmed and some of the dialogue you know pretty much every line is quotable you know the aforementioned green pill blue pill free your mind dodge this there is no spoon <laughs> Don't think you are. No, you are. You know, welcome to the real world. Um, every line is quotable. It's so good. Um, you know, and when you have something of quality like this, it, it, you know, that's why it does bear that repeated watching. You know, quite a lot of the films, I think, that we talk about on Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast are good enough to watch time and time again because no matter how many times you watch them you will always even 20 odd years later you will always find something whether it's a special effect whether it's a line whether it's an angle you'll always find something that you missed 
the previous oh, times. You're absolutely right, every single time, because it's such a visually so rich, but also the story is complex. Let, let's not, yep. you know, uh, I think they yep. worked very hard on that. They saw the characters. So what I, what I think worked really well with the first one is that the character of Neo or Thomas or Mr. Anderson, as, you know, Agent Smith calls him, um, you know, is really discovering for the first time what we are discovering so is uh, it's really quite fascinating to see his journey and then his mentor you know morpheus lawrence fishburne but of course his sidekick as the trinity but also for me i loved you know I, although i was quite shocked because we come on to the marketing the trailer didn't reveal too much I mean, the trailer shared a lot of the action scene and the visual kind of uh, extravaganza but they didn't share the story but when you discover what really happens and then he's rescued and moves on to you know the um, the ship which um can't remember what it's called anymore um i think it's called the abacanizer but i could be wrong and you've got the crew you've got tank you've got cypher you've got mouse you know the the, the kind of crafty kid you've got apoch so it felt to me almost like uh, it was playing back to me the um, treasure island you know when you go onto the ship mm. into an adventure mm. yeah so yeah, again, the characters are, are great. Keanu Reeves often, you know, accused of being a bit of a wooden actor. Arguably, this is one of his best roles, I think, uh, because he's so believable. That sort of combination of total confusion, but determination to understand what's going on. Uh, yeah, absolutely great. So, what about the marketing? Because, like a lot of films like this, it's difficult to not give the plot away in your advertising. What was interesting, if you back to 1999, there was a lot of movies being released that year, like every year, but this was the year where most of the nation was waiting for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. That was the biggie, and we knew lots about it. There was a lot of marketing. The Matrix it was almost like this undercurrent where there was a very, very simple affair of a trailer, some teaser posters, and a lot of the um, kind of artifacts of the green screens of the symbols, which had elements of the Star Wars language to me, being shared uh, and downloadable as screensavers or desktops. You could kind of get a sense of what this was about. But there was a lot of mystery. And in fact, most of the campaign was simply, what is the Matrix question mark? Yeah, and the the, the more expanded uh, strap line in the trailer, which said, no one can be told what the Matrix <laughs> is. You have to see it for yourself. I mean, there can't be a more explicit invitation to go and see a film than that. But, you know, thinking about, you, you re referenced Star Wars, The Phantom Menace there. That got a massive amount of pre-publicity. Yeah. And if I, if, if I think the amount of publicity that Star Wars got, I would suggest that quite a high percentage of people who went to see Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, me included, came out pretty disappointed. You know, it just didn't live up to the reputation of the first three movies or the middle three movies, depending upon your viewpoint. And I particularly hated Jar Jar Binks. I thought he was just awful. And yet... With the Matrix, you know, much more low-key marketing campaign, perhaps made people go to the cinema with less expectation, coming out utterly blown away with with what they'd seen. And I quite like that difference between maybe the overhype and the disappointment, and then the underhype of Matrix and the wow, what was that we just saw? 
You are absolutely right. I mean, for me, the reason I went to the Matrix, the trailer was obviously exciting, but the main thing was because of the fighting. I knew yeah. that action director Yoon Ping had been working on it, so that that was enough for me. If you, if you know enough about martial arts movies, Hong Kong movies, but also if you, I think, had we seen by then, um, Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you know, all those movies. So we knew that this was the man to design incredibly, um, beautifully, you know, uh, designed action scenes. So. I was sold on the action director. Then I knew enough about the cast. I knew nothing about the directors and the producers. Um, and then I saw the trailer and I said, yeah, I would definitely spend, I'm, I don't remember how much we paid back then in the movies, a tenner, to go and see these sci-fi movies. And left thinking, oh my God, when can I see this again? And um, in terms of 1999, this was a long movie. There's two, two hours and a quarter. And I'm, and I'm thinking back as well, because 1999... Uh, we hadn't gone full internet yet. No. Um, mobile phones in those days were still quite large. I seem to remember I had one of the earlier Nokia flip phones. You know, I think I, I, I'm trying to remember when I got my first mobile phone. It was probably about 1995, 1996. So we're, we're still in the early days of some of the tech that we now take for granted. And I wonder whether... The Matrix played a little bit on people's fears of emerging technology as well as the coolness that people often felt towards emerging technology. I would agree. I think the timing for thinking you know, that, that there was um, the rising consumption and adoption of, of personal tech um, to the point where in the Matrix, you know, people get plugged in by shoving this really kind of impressive needle in the back of their, their skull. Um, perhaps predicting, you know, what will happen for us in in twenty thirty years time. So this back to this idea of you know the human flesh being attacked by you know uh, tech and and machine, which I think is always quite quite pleasant to to explore. But I think yeah, the timing. I think the directors used that you know to their advantage for sure. And again, like you've just said, how long will it be before some of this <laughs> or all of this becomes? A, I mean, we're we're at the stage now where we can put on you know, um, virtual reality goggles. Now, the world we see in re virtual reality goggles is not quite yet an, a total approximation of the world that we are living in. But, you know, will there become a day when the, the science of the matrix actually becomes a reality? And, you know, again, it could be another science fiction film that people get to a certain age and then they get taken off the streets and plugged into a database somewhere and then their consciousness carries on watching a movie of the world. I, I don't know, but it's, uh, I love that movies like this because they're at once science fiction, but they're just, they're just over the line, aren't they? They're just over the line. And it's very, very possible that what they're showing us is going to be a reality before we know it. Yeah. And just to kind of um, close on that, you know, so this movie was released, let's be clear, 21 years ago. And it's still, it's still stacking up, you know, as in it can be watched. I don't think the special effects have aged that much. I think people, if they were to discover for the first, I would be impressed with the set design, with the costume design, with the, the music, with the action, with the storytelling. It is a love story, uh, after all, a sort of redemption as well. As And uh, I just think that it's um, an impressive a bit of work and a bit of um, cinema moment. And I'm just pleased that I was around to queue up and, and watch it like I did yeah absolutely right do you know Pascal I think I'm going to go and have to plug myself <laughs> in 
And like a lot of the times when we talk about a film on this podcast, sometimes I've watched it again to prepare for the discussion that we have. Sometimes, like you, we talk about a film where I'm so comfortable with talking about it, I don't need to watch it again. But often our conversation actually prompts me to go and watch it again. So let's draw the conversation to a close. Another great film, another great discussion. We've covered some incredible tech today and some incredible content. So everyone, thank you so much for watching the show. Thank you for listening to the show. And do please subscribe. And do please leave us comments in all the usual places, wherever you consume your videos and your podcasts. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards, and he was Pascal Fintoni. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.